Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today we're going to be talking a little about picking soybean varieties for disease tolerance. And even if you don't plant soybeans, we're just going to talk about disease in general and varieties and how variety selection plays into that as opposed to using, let's say, a fungicide or uh, more natural methods of controlling diseases. So we'll get into all that on our show today. If you've got a question for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk to us about, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So at this time of year, Darren and I are kind of rotating, doing our radio show. So he's out on the road today, um, and I was just yesterday. The reason why is we kind of go around throughout at least our region, meeting with farmers and talking to farmers just about some of the upcoming things that we're looking at on the farm here for 2022. Now, the biggest question that everybody has had is either related to supply or to price. So why are supplies so tight? Why are prices so high? Let me first say this. Seed prices are not high. Seed prices are low. Um, Even though the commodity price is way up this year versus what it was a year ago today, um, you'll find seed prices about the same. So that really hasn't changed. And quite frankly, most ag chemicals or pesticides uh, haven't changed all that much in price. They're up 5 to 10%. Uh, so it's not a real big deal. and They are certainly not up percentage-wise as much as the commodity prices. But what's getting all the publicity is the fertilizer price and then Roundup Liberty and 2,4-D. Those are the big things on the ag chem side. Roundup Liberty and 2,4-D are all about triple in price what they were a year ago. So why are we having these supply issues with those three chemistries and with fertilizer? Look, a lot of this is just flat out supply and demand. When crop prices go up, a lot of farmers look at using more. And then the other factor here is just we haven't been able to get imports into the United States. And I'm not going to comment on on the Canadian market, but I, I can on the U.S. market because I deal with that every day. And we just haven't got the imports in like we normally would because of some of these logistical things, COVID, people not going back to work, all this kind of stuff. Here's one other thing I want you to think about. When it comes to ag chemicals, there isn't just, okay, so let me, let me step back for a second. When I was a very young agronomist 30 years ago, we would run out of a certain product. And I'd just say to these chemical manufacturers, well, why don't you just fire up the plant again? How difficult is it to make more of this particular product? Can't be that tough. But what I didn't understand at the time is the lead time on getting everything that it takes to make these different pesticides. So it's very common for 20 or 30 or 40 components to go into making one pesticide. And I know that may seem strange, but there are emulsifiers and all these adjuvants that they'll put in there. I mean, it's just, it's a lot more than just the active ingredient, okay? So anyway, what started getting explained to me was that, look, Brian, on a lot of the pesticides sold in the United States, there's a two-year to three-year lead time. I'm going, what? How can that possibly be? Because they said, think about, all right, all the things that go into making this particular pesticide, here they all are, and they'd run through this stuff with me. And then they go, all right, 
the stuff that goes into that, the into these raw materials, they have to make the raw materials first. And there are components that go into making the raw materials. And then some of these products are shipped from all over the world. And with all the issues we've had over the last year and a half, as you can imagine, things getting slowed down, plants closing for certain periods of time, logistics issues, it's stretched this out. So all of a sudden, instead of a two or three year lead time, it might be a three or four year lead time. And at the same time, what happened with commodity prices last spring? They went way up. So then a lot of people wanted to use more of these products and we ran ourselves out. And we're not going to get that supply back probably till 2024. So I, it stinks in the short term, but I, I would say this. We have to look at the bright side of things here. We have so many other alternatives to Roundup, to Liberty, to 2,4-D, and quite frankly, in some cases, better alternatives. So don't get too hung up on that. On the fertilizer side of things, yeah, that one really stinks. So there aren't as many alternatives to fertilizer but certainly there's manure, there's compost, there are things you could look at there. And then it's just soil testing and it comes back to using what you actually need on each acre. So anyway, that's why we've been talking about that so much here through the fall and we will continue doing that through the winter. I'd encourage you to attend our free Ag PhD soils clinic we've got coming up in January. This year we're going to do a two-day soils clinic because we we're getting so many questions and it's never been more important to soil test and to know how to read a soil test than it is right now because fertilizer's never been higher priced. So that's why we're going to spend as much time as we are a two-day soils clinic. You can go to agphd.com to learn more about that. So coming back to our topic today, picking soybean varieties for disease tolerance. And quite frankly, let's talk about picking anything for disease tolerance. Any crop we're talking about, soybeans, corn, wheat, you name it. Before we even get to that, I want you to think about this. Well, we can't control the weather, we can control a lot of the things in our soil. We can control the drainage for the most part. We can control if we add moisture or not. In other words, if we put irrigation up or not. So, the big thing that we focused on here this fall, like I was talking about a minute ago, is the fertility side. Because let's face it, it's just like human health. Plant health is exactly like human health in this way. If a human being has the right diet, and you know this if you've ever talked to your doctor about any health issue that you've got, what does the doctor say? If you eat right, you got less chance to have problems or turn it around. If you eat right, you have more chance to be healthy. It's the same thing with our crops. So while fertilizer is expensive, the point is we've got to figure out what fertility actually pays and what fertility will make the plant healthier so it can naturally tolerate more diseases. But anyway, we'll talk about some specific variety varietal traits and things to look for when it comes to disease tolerance that's coming up on our show today we'll get to your questions later in the show in the ag phd mailbag as well stay tuned this is ag phd radio you work for results that's why the enlist weed control system gives you flexible tank mixing near zero volatility a wide application window and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts. 
at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Purchase your dream tractor and save your cash with can-do financing from Case IH. Save on the remarkably versatile Farmall, premium comfort Vestrum, and versatile workhorse Maxim tractors. Plus, discover amazing rates on high-capacity round balers and disc mower conditioners. Upgrade your equipment now and keep your cash flow strong next season. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, do you think you could cut your farm's fertility expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year. It's January 12th and 13th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the most important two days that you spend in your farming career, and it's all free. So register now at agphd.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today we're talking a little about picking the right soybean variety for disease tolerance. And there are a lot of diseases that affect soybeans, just like there are a lot of diseases that, in, that can impact any crop. And just uh, in our opening segment, I had, I had made the comment, the most important thing that you can do is have a good soil base. So in other words, good drainage, having good fertility, doing everything else possible to make that crop healthy. Um, certainly you can spray fungicides, you can use seed treatments, things like that. But the variety absolutely makes a difference. Uh, first on the show today, we've got Dan Kohler with us. He's over in Minnesota. He's with the Cal Basgro. Dan, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. And yourself? Excellent. All right, so in, in your area in Minnesota, what are the top maybe two or three diseases that farmers are concerned about when it comes to variety selection? Sure, yeah, I'm right here in south-central Minnesota, you know, between Blue Earth and Albert Lee, and I'm right on the line. If you go to the east of me, white mold is the main disease that growers are, are worried about. If you go to the west of me, um, you know, IDC, um, iron deficiency, chlorosis is a big agronomic um, you know, issue that they're dealing with. And then everyone's kind of starting to deal with SDS or sudden death syndrome. Okay. So I'm glad you brought those three up because with white mold, iron deficiency, chlorosis, and sudden death syndrome, there's no specific trait that is a resistance trait. It's just tolerance and basically selecting varieties that might be more tolerant to that particular disease. But that's not easy to do, is it? No, it's not. You know, the first question I'll ask 
growers is what is the disease that's limiting or you know historically an issue for them and then I'll ask them what maturity are they planting and you know if it's IDC or iron deficiency corrosis you know I rely a lot on our infield information that we gather through the season we try to put some one row um, pH plots uh, you know out in the Benson area the Redwood Falls area, the Olivia area, and we gain that information to help us give, you know, growers some recommendations. And then, you know, if it's white mold, we tend to, you know, try to put some plots down in southeast Minnesota where we get it, you know, more historically every year and, you know, gather notes. And, you know, that's kind of how we, um, you know, drive our information locally to make better recommendations for our customers. Well, here's one of the things that I kind of look at. There are so many brand new varieties each year that come out, and I want to plant new varieties as much as I can. But I, as a farmer, get kind of worried when it is a brand new variety. How much experience do you really have when a new variety comes out, and how confident are you that you really know in the worst, let's say, white mold or IDC or SDS situations that that variety is going to do well, or does it take an actual year or two out on the farm to 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 really fine tune that? Yeah, no, I, I I'm totally with you. I, I I agree. I think it takes definitely one to two years. Um, just in this last year, you know, when we get uh, um, varieties advanced to us, um, you know, it's a lot of small plot data, or it's a lot on, yeah. you know, what they know about the genetics. But when we can actually put it out into the you know, the environment here that our customers farm on in a larger scale and get more observations, we're definitely going to learn more and be more confident, you know, after one year and even two years um, of seeing it ourselves. When you look at each of these diseases, what kind of yield range do you see if you put the wrong variety in the wrong spot? Is it 20 bushels? Is it 30 bushels? What is it? Um, you know, that's <laughs> it's probably not an easy, <laughs> easy uh, answer just to put a number on it, but I've had, you know, about four years ago, we had white, bad white mold year yep. and with the wrong bean. We, we easily saw a 30 bushel hit um, with, you know, a susceptible variety out there. So white mold can really hammer you. Typically, it's in those, you know, lower PD areas. It's not whole field. You know, and IDC is kind of, you know, a similar situation. I've seen um, bad IDC years where beans just completely die and you take a huge, you know, much bigger than even 30 bushel hit. Um, so it's very important to get, you know, that right soybean on the, on the right acre depending on what that agronomic, you know, limiting factor is. Yeah, and the problem is we don't know if this next year will be a bad white mold year or not, or a bad IDC or a bad SDS year or not. So I guess that's why I just encourage people, spread your risk a little bit. And if you've had problems in the past in certain areas, like with white mold or IDC or to some degree even SDS, a lot of times those problems follow through. So it might have been two years ago, four years ago, six years ago, whenever the last time was, or a couple times ago when you had beans. But I'd really be paying attention to what my past history was so you can can uh, hopefully find something that's halfway tolerant to that disease. Uh, Dan, you got any last comments here for us on picking the right soybean variety for disease tolerance? Yeah, no, I think you hit it. You know, I think you, you need to ask the right questions and, you know, what's been the historical problem, you know, issue on your farm and, you know, what maturity you're looking at. And then you look for the best bean with the, you know, the best tolerance, especially at those diseases we just um, talked about and plan a package to help spread your risk. Yep, because at the end of the day, we got to have yield if we're going to pay the bill. So we've been talking to Dan Kohler with DeKalb Asgrove. Dan, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. Yep, thank you. You bet. All right, let's go next to Todd McRoberts. He is with NK Seeds, also in Minnesota. Todd, how are you today? Very good. How are you, Brian? 
Excellent. All right, so just talking about picking the right soybean variety for disease tolerance, uh, we, we talked about white mold, IDC, and, and sudden death syndrome. Is there anything else that you would throw in for your area that you have a lot of farmers asking you about? I think one of the one of the surprises this year, and it, it's always been here, is Phytophthora. I think uh, we're seeing flare-ups. Uh, if varieties have RPS1C gene or RPS1K gene, we seem to be seeing some tendencies that, that they're starting to show some intolerance to it. So uh, companies that can provide stacked phytoptera genes are, are showing varieties that tend to be a little better at times. And I guess we never know when phytoptera is going to show up, but generally we get some cool wet periods early spring. And that's another one that's kind of out there and it's dependent by area because you, know, you think about Minnesota, Wisconsin, Dakotas, they've been fairly dry the last two or three years. And you know, you don't want really to see what you expect in those areas, especially with what you just talked about with white mold and, and SDS also. Yeah, and part of the problem is, if I think back to even 2019, that's the wettest year we ever had on our farm. Well, 2021 was, the year isn't done yet, but it might end up being the driest year we've ever had. That, that's sure. only two years apart. So when you start looking at, oh, in the last two years, this variety worked for me, well, maybe it will, maybe it won't. So how do you talk that through with a guy? I think to your point there, as you look at year by year, we've been extremely dry this past year. We we need to make that up. So if you're going to, you know, bet against Mother Nature, <laughs> uh, I think the key thing is, is, you know, choose multiple varieties, uh, choose varieties that, you know, I think about today, growers are planting soybeans earlier and earlier. If we get a cool wet spring and, and growers are planting early, you know, SDS tends to show up at times of compaction or or high soybean system nematode levels in some fields. So, you know, bet against the pest. Look at varieties that are strong on SDS. Look at varieties that are strong on white mold. And, and if Phytophthora is a, a challenge in, in an area with poorly drained soils, and they could get that way if we make up a lot of rainfall coming into an early spring, I think we need, we've got to choose varieties that are historically sound and, and, and can, can protect them from, from those diseases. Now, when we talk about all these diseases, one of the things I've kind of found over the years is I'll get national information from companies, but it seems like the local information is almost better with the specific soils we have in our area. How do you feel about that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I look at, uh, you know, with NK, we've launched uh, two new trait platforms with ExtendFlex and Enlist E3 in our proprietary NK brand. And historically, we've had really good uh, white mold SDS phytophthora tolerant varieties. And if we can bring that local into Minnesota or the Dakotas or Wisconsin where white mold is, is heavy pressure and we do these, we do these trials locally, that's, that's the best data we get. Um, the one row, uh, hill, one, one row, one hill IDC plots in the valley, I mean, that's, that's very good, uh, very good areas as we go west here in Minnesota to look at, you know, how we're doing these trials and getting the best out of these local varieties. Yeah, when you start looking at how many acres of soybeans there are in our region of the United States, you take the Dakotas and Minnesota together, it's an incredible amount of acres of soybeans, and we have a lot of diseases. This is not the easiest area to raise beans in because you mentioned Phytophthora, white mold, IDC, SDS, there are others as well. So again, for anybody listening today, we just really encourage you to talk to your local seed provider and try to find something good in terms of disease tolerance so you can be successful in 2022. We've been talking to Todd McRoberts. He's with NK Seeds. Todd, thanks for the time today. This is great stuff. Thank you, Brian. You bet. All right, stay tuned. We'll talk a little more about seed varieties and disease tolerance right after this. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. 
Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. One of the most important things you can do for your farm is improving drainage. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Monday, January 31st, we're hosting a free Ag PhD tiling clinic in the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Whether you've been tiling for years or you're looking to plan your first project, you won't want to miss this event. We have a whole host of information for you, including a legal session with the country's top drainage lawyers, as well as presentations on tile design, lift stations, NRCS guidelines, and ways to approach neighbors and landlords about tiling issues. For more details and to register, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other AgPhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. The first name and last word in weed control in heavier, higher organic soil types is Authority Edge Herbicide from FMC. This proprietary combination of actives outperforms the competition, delivering up to 14 more days of residual control. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Authority Edge Herbicide may not be registered for sale or use in all states. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're talking about picking soybean varieties for disease tolerance, but again, even if you don't plant soybeans, a lot of these things still apply. There are a lot of diseases you can get in just about any crop, and you always want to be taking a look at what the disease package is or disease tolerance level is for the variety that you're planting, in addition to doing cultural practices, using fungicides, using seed treatments, etc. Well, we've got Keith calling in from over in Ohio next. Keith, how are you doing today? Oh, just fine, Brian. So Sun's out in 50, mid-50s. So it's pretty good over here today. Yeah, it's not as warm as you guys, though. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I got really warm yesterday. We've had an unbelievable late fall here. So let me just ask you, are you still doing some field work on your farm? No, we're, we finished everything up. We finished all the 
fall spraying there oh, about two weeks ago. We've been done harvesting about three weeks. So, what do you, so we're pretty much, there's still some crop out around here, though. Ohio sure. corn, there's like 89% done. And beans, I think they're like 92. So there's still crops oh, out. Oh, yeah. There's bit. still a lot of acres then. But, so, but you, we've been wet. I mean, we turned wet there about a month ago. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We haven't been wet in about two years now, so. No, I know you haven't. <laughs> uh, uh, hey, let me ask you, you said you've been doing some spraying this fall. What have you been spraying? Uh, I fall sprayed all the soybean ground. Yeah, the corn stalks go into soybeans, and we use brash, and uh, then used a, uh, an offshoot of canopy, like a generic. Sure. So I, we're no-till, and I really like fall application. And next year, we're going to do the plunge soybeans, which will be a roundup bean. We're going back to that. They're offering like a dollar quarter premium for the plenish. Okay. So yep. we I, used Enlist last last year. We used Enlist and been uh, dicamba the last two years. Sure. So did you not so like did, switch. Yeah, okay. So did you not like the enlist or extend or it's just you're you're kinda of after no. the premium? Yeah, I mean yeah. when you're looking at sixty, eighty dollars an acre. Right. You know, and we control, you know, we we've got everything pretty much under control and Good. like my son Chad and I talk, I think it's time to you know, to do that and the plenish bean, you know, I've worked on that a lot through USB and everything and kinda of excited to do that. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, coming back to this fall spraying you've been doing, a, a lot of the farmers that we talk to in Ohio have issues with mare's tail. Is that your number one problem, or what would be the biggest weed issue on your farm? No, the, the biggest thing we have in, because I've been fall spraying for like 20 years, and okay. the mare's tail, you know, I really took that out. I've been yep. no-till y'all for 30. And so the mare's tail, data lines was a big thing when I first started no-tilling, and you know, with yep. fall spraying, we eliminated all that. Basically, now we're just looking at winter annuals, and still, you know, to stay on top of, of mare's tail or even the dandelions, yeah, and everything. And uh, in the last couple of years in our rotation, we've been we've kicked up to, oh, quite a few acres of wheat. We're doing over two hundred fifty acres of wheat now. Oh, okay. And, uh, all right. We, we do double crop beans right behind that. We're in Southern Ohio. Okay. So that works really well for gotcha. us. Because our wheat yields, we've been, last year we averaged about 118 and, uh, you know, the double crop beans. Last couple of years, we've been right around the 50 bushel area. So it's been <laughs> phenomenal. And at the wheat price, you know, it doesn't get any better. <laughs> and it's great for our soils. I love the yep. rotation for our soils, too. Yeah. All the diseases and everything. So it's, well, so it's, Yep. Fun run. Yep, I gotta admit, Keith, I'm a little bit jealous. I wish I could raise two crops in a season, but uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm a little. We're a little bit cooler than what you are. Hey, I want to come back to you. Mentioned the the plenish soybeans. Our topic today is picking soybean varieties for disease tolerance. Now you you've completely switched trait platforms. This will be three years in a row. You were extend, then you're enlist, and now you're going to these plenish beans. So how right. how do you do it? Trying to pick the right varieties and match it up with your different fields and any particular disease issues you may have uh-huh. well you know it's again like you say knowing your fields and you know i think one of the real keys in our weed management is you know changing technologies mm-hmm. because a guy just needs to rotate and uh you know disease packages now with photophora and you know the peaking in you know the 188 is pretty much in everything so we're pretty good there you know the sudden sudden death we you, we do use a Levo on about everything. We okay. really see good results with that. And yes, in the end, you know, with our rotations, we've got pretty low counts on that. You know, white mold is probably you know, high as one of the bigger things, but, you know, we do watch that and, and we definitely fungicide everything and, 
And, you know, the biologicals now, we're playing with all that stuff, and that's that's the next big question. It's, try, it's, it's fun to try to analyze these biologicals and to see what works and what doesn't work. Well, there, it seems like every year is a little different with those. Definitely. Know, the hardest thing. Yeah, that plus the fact that it seems like there are a million different choices out there. Every company's oh, got yes. a bunch of biologicals. It's got them. Yeah. Right. So based, but I think that's where our real future is at is sure. you know, figuring out these biologicals and everything. Yep, I agree. So basically what you're saying here is you're trying to pick <laughs> the right things for natural tolerance with the varieties, but then you're supplementing that with whether it's biologicals or seed treatment like Olivo, fungicide, foliar right. for white mold, whatever else you can do so, never, so these things never get bad for you. That's right. A total package, you know, is what you got to do because – you know, the, the fungicides that you know, we've been at for years and foliar feeding and, you know, just all those little extras, but it, it's, that's where, you know, that's where the yields are going to come from. Sure. And then guys got to keep testing all the time. Yep. And then beyond that, you're basically just really trusting that seed dealer that they're giving you the right thing that matches up for your acre, correct? Yes. And like I say, we run our own plot work. And so we pretty much, you know, no, no, you know what family of beans are working or whatever, and everything. Because you know the plenish bean is still off the family of some of the other beans. But uh, what excites us, the plenish beans, you know, are we're basically uh, you know pioneer, and they really do have some good plenish variety as far as yield. Mm-hmm. The list beans were good, but I just think we're a year or so away from top genetics. So, yeah, I mean, we've had pretty good luck out in our region of the United States with the Enlist beans now. Mm -hmm. I I mean, when we first started testing those probably, I don't know, even know, eight years ago, nine years ago. Right. um, We didn't have real great stuff. But what we've seen lately, it's it's been real good, even with some of the uh, drift issues with the Camba getting on those Enlist beans. So are you worried about the drift getting onto your Plenish beans? Not so much, you know, now because, you know, around us, Pretty everybody's went to enlist now. Okay, not good. too much dicamba being used. Sure, and everything and and uh, I say because we've done dicamba there for a couple of years and you know I had great results and everything. But and the enlist, like I say, they were good for us last year. But I think we can get a little more yield. You know, maybe going to plenish route now because they do have some fantastic yields with these plenish beans. Yeah, and plot work and everything. Yeah, and that was going to be my next question for you is if you think you can actually get higher yield with the plenish beans, but it sounds like that's kind of what you're thinking. Well, that that that's interesting yeah. because uh, yeah. that, that's one of the fears a lot of people have going away from the enlist or extend is well, well, something yeah. where I have to use conventional herbicides. Um, you know, do am I still going to get that yield? Right, and we're really fortunate we don't have water hemp. Yeah, we. We do fight a little bit of giant rag, you know, some of our better soils, but we're pretty much under control of that. And even with the, going back to Roundup, you know, if we got to go in and spray some spot sprays of Cobra or something, you know, it's not, I don't feel like it's going to be an issue for us. So are you going to do more spring herbicide or is just you do this fall herbicide and that's it for your soybeans? No, we'll still do a, you know, spring also. <clears throat> yeah, we'll go pretty high on Residuals and everything. Yep. You know, there. Yep. Because, you know, that's a cheap route with it, you know, the Roundup and glyphosate and right. glyphosate, the prices, you know, that's where a guy, and that's where I really want to get fall sprayed. Yeah. Because, you know, if I burn down this next year, I probably won't have to use near as high rates of glyphosate. 
<laughs> well, so, yeah, let, let's it'll be an interesting year. Yeah, let's hope we don't have to use very high rates of glyphosate because I don't like the triple in price factor that we're looking yeah. at now with that roundup. So, uh, yeah, well, hey, uh, hey, Keith, it's been great talking to you today. Really interesting, and I, I'm glad you're finding something that you think is going to work possibly even better for you on your farm with those soybeans. Uh, good luck to you, to you out there, and thanks a lot for calling in. Uh, thank you, Brian. You bet. Take care. All right, so coming up next here on the show, we're going to get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag. I have so many questions here that have come in, uh, and uh, we, we got a lot of great ones in today. So during our last couple segments of the show, we will we will get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag. And also, if you've got a, a question for us that you'd like to call in for, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. Looking to upgrade your productivity now and take control of your cash flow next season? Check out CanDo Financing on Case IH tractors and hay tools today. Discover amazing rates on the remarkably versatile Farmall, premium comfort Vestrum, and versatile workhorse Maxim tractors. Plus, save on high-capacity round balers and disc mower conditioners. Make this season your most productive yet. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Conditioning low-moisture beans to 13% can add semi-loads to your bottom line. And with our 13 for 13 year-end special, make 13% beans possible with 13% off an end-zone bin system. Use promo code 13 for 13 at farmshopmfg.com. How do you make 300 bushel corn on your farm? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, February 1st, we're going to answer that question at a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll talk about water management, fertility needs, finding success in cold soils, and we'll discuss how to protect your corn crop from weeds, insects, and diseases that rob yield potential. If you want a roadmap to 300 bushel corn and beyond, don't miss the free Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. Register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events that we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in soybeans and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information that we can't wait to share with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now, you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, 
three no-excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide from BASF. That's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Hey, everybody. Come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. All right, our first question of the day comes from Colton. He just emailed us from northern Missouri. He says, I've attached soil test results from two different fields taken on two and a half acre grids. I'd appreciate any advice you've got. Also, I was wondering if you had an online offering for your soils clinic in January. Um, I have livestock, so I won't be able to attend in person. Thanks for your input and, and advice. All right, so Colton, yes, we will have something online. We don't have that posted yet. We will here most likely later this month. Uh, otherwise, it'll be the 1st of January, and we'll have that posted on where you could go for that. But I, I would just say attending a soils clinic in person just usually means you're going to get more out of it. For one, there are other farmers there, and soils agronomist and you even have the chance to talk to Darren and me as well so we can really dive into your particular soil test but anyway you, you sent me your soil tests here I've taken a look at them and I, I would and so for our, our listeners let me just explain a little bit what we're looking at here so again this is in Missouri okay he's got a little bit of soil pH that's below six it's not a lot but five in the five and a half to six range, there's probably, oh, I'd say a third of his samples. So on a third of this ground, we probably recommend just a little bit of lime. Now the calcium level is already fairly decent in most of his ground, but right where the pH is low, guess what? Of course, the calcium is just a little bit low. So putting some lime out there will solve the calcium problem, solve the pH problem. You don't need much. The cation exchange capacity is about 15. So we were talking a medium soil here. But the biggest issue I see is the same issue I see on most soil tests, just flat out not enough potassium. Average 1.6 base saturation potassium, and at 1.6 base saturation K, I can promise you you're losing yield, plus the fact that it's hard to get a good, uh, to have great standability in your crop, simply because your stock quality can't be fantastic when your K is that low. So you got to build your K up. And I know potassium is expensive this year, but I'd start on at least a little bit of a build program this year and eventually get those levels up to at least 4% base saturation K. Now, the next thing is phosphorus. So when I'm looking at his two fields here, the one averages 26 pounds of phosphorus and the other 29 pounds. And that's just really, really, really low. I want to have 200 pounds at least available in my soil where I'm trying to raise good corn, soybeans, or wheat. So I'd be working on building that up. Now, I don't think he mentioned here if he owns the ground. No, I don't. No, it doesn't look like he mentioned if he owns the ground or rents the ground. So let, let's talk about this in two different ways. If it's me and I own the ground, I'm going to build it all up. I'm going to build it up as fast as I can, and I'm just going to maintain it after that. And I'm going to reap the rewards over a long period of time. It's awesome. If you rent the ground, and let's say it's on a short-term deal, then I'd really encourage you to take a look at banding if we're talking row crops here. Because when you band, you've got a much better chance for uptake this year on the fertilizer you applied this year. The problem with broadcasting is a lot of that fertility won't be getting into your plant 
at least during this coming growing season. So if you lose the ground, basically you have fertilized for somebody else. All right, next question here comes from Nick in Illinois. He says, uh, hi, guys, I've enjoyed listening to your program and look forward to hearing more from you. I have a couple of questions. First off, um, we raise non-GMO corn with minimum till and GMO soybeans in no-till. We've had issues in the past with weed control, which forced us to discontinue the use of non-GMO soybeans and switch to GMO soybeans. Uh, even with that, we've struggled with some weed control. This year, it was grass escapes in the end rows and around waterways. Even with vertical till, the retailers and chem reps around us are saying, we're doing too much tillage, which explains why the escapes are more prevalent in areas that get more tillage. They want us to go to all post applications of herbicide and avoid the tillage. I would still like to incorporate our, our UAN pre-plant. How do you feel about this advice? Okay, we know that by tilling, you will have a few more weeds, but there are also many advantages to tilling, so we do some of each on our farm. I, I don't really care what you do. Either way, I'm going to use, I, I'm going to use herbicides to control my weeds, and if I use the right ones, I should be able to do a great job. It's interesting, though, that you brought up end rows and around waterways. Here's what we do on our farm, and I don't care if we're talking corn or beans. When the crop is really small, we make an extra pass around all our field borders, just on the outside few rows. Doesn't take much, doesn't cost much, uh, doesn't take a lot of time, but we, we hit this hard. And where I learned this was over 30 years ago, I was a young agronomist, and I had these great farmers that I dealt with, and they go, Brian, here's what we do. We use a double rate of pre-emerge herbicide around all our ends and around all our waterways. And I go, guys, <laughs> look, I can't do that, nor can I recommend that because that's off-label. You're using twice the labeled rate. But what I'm going to do is just what I described a minute ago, spray one extra pass early post. So that would be something you could try. The other thing is, I don't know which herbicides you're using. You didn't tell me here, but I would just say when you're talking soybeans and grass, the simple answer is either trifluralin if you're incorporating, or you could use prowl in no-till. So you don't have to till a lot of these herbicides in. You could go put them out in the fall. You could put them out early in the spring. I am just saying you can you can spray early if you want so you have more time for rain. But let's face it, you're in Illinois. You get twice the rain that we do here in South Dakota. So I'm not super worried about it. You put a, a herbicide on without incorporation, it's probably not long until it rains. And once it rains, that herbicide is going to get into the ground and it's going to work fine. But anyway, if you've got specific questions or if, let's say, you want to uh, uh, share with me what you're doing for herbicide now and ask for my opinion on that herbicide program, just send that over to me. Okay, next, next question is this. We've had good control of rootworms using force insecticide. Are there any other granular products that are competitive with force? We're just wondering about price comparisons. Yes, let me mention two. Aztec is real similar to force. So we usually see similar rootworm performance out of Aztec compared to force. Now, force is 100% pyrethroid. 
Aztec is 95% organophosphate and 5% pyrethroid. So in other words, when we start talking about these different chemistries, we a lot of times will say, look, if you're in continuous corn and you've been using nothing but force for the last 10 years, it's probably time to switch up to something else. Aztec would be a good choice. Another choice, I'm not saying as good for rootworms, but another choice would be counter insecticide. There isn't much of that used anymore, but the reason why I bring up counter is nematodes. Now, I don't know, Nick, about the level of nematodes in your area, but I do know counter is also a nematicide. And it's similar in price, just like Aztec is similar in price to force. So those would be a couple of options that you could consider. All right, next one here is from Brian. He says, uh, I just watched a Weed of the Week that you guys did 13 years ago. And you know what? It looks like the same herbicides you were recommending 13 years ago, you're still recommending today. Seems like we need to do more tillage and more crop rotation. Well, Brian, um, this is one of the things that we've talked about with people for a long time. You know, there aren't a lot of new herbicides that are coming out in many different crops. Now, I will say there are a lot of new names and a lot of new combinations, but for the most part, it's still some of the same old chemistries we dealt with 15 and 20 and 25 years ago. There's nothing really wrong with that necessarily, and it's not like those products don't work. It's just that they don't last forever in the soil. I mean, a lot of herbicides we use are either contact killers, they last only today, or in terms of residual control, they only last a month or two. And that's a good thing because we don't want them building up in our soil and hurting our next crop or anything like that. But yeah, I mean, weeds have a way of just continuing to exist, and we have to keep fighting them as farmers. But I agree, tillage can certainly help. Crop rotation can certainly help. But I guess here's the other thing that we talk about all the time. Try to keep all weeds from going to seed. Because when even a few weeds go to seed, well, think about water hemp or palmer pigweed. One plant, one single plant can put on a million seeds. So if you only have 10 plants going to seed in the whole field and you think, oh, no big deal, I did a really good job, I got 99.9% .9 control, you still have 10 million weed seeds in that field to deal with at some point in the future. We'll get to more of your questions coming up next in the Ag PhD Mailbag. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answer to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, 
herbicide traits, fertility, cleaning up white mold, and more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag. Our next question comes from Diego, who says, when you sample 24 inches deep for nitrates, do you still use one-acre grids on your farm? I am definitely going to check my fields for free nitrates, just like you guys did, like you were talking about on the radio show yesterday, or maybe it was the day before now. Anyway, uh, so uh, I would say this, Diego, we on our farm do one acre grid sampling for really all our acres at six inches deep and we're doing a complete analysis so that's everything from np and k micronutrients base saturation soil ph etc this year because we saw so much nitrate still in that soil in the top six inches we decided you know and and, and also since nitrogen is super expensive now we decided we better test 6 to 24 inches deep in two or three spots in every one of our fields. So we're not doing one-acre grids. We're only doing a few spots for this deep nitrate sampling. I'm super unbelievably thankful that we've done that because, as we've talked about here on the radio over the last couple of weeks, we have found as much as 300 pounds of nitrogen still sitting there in the top 24 inches of soil even coming out of corn in some cases. It's unbelievable. I We never applied that much. I don't know where it came from exactly, other than to say hey, maybe we did apply too much in some years past, and we just haven't had any rain for two years to leach anything out, and we didn't have enough yield to suck it all up, but we still had fairly decent yield. But the other thing is, since we've been so hot the last couple of years, maybe our organic matter mineralization has just been fantastic. I, I don't know what it is, but all I know is we're seeing more nitrogen in more fields all around, uh, not just the United States here in the Midwest, but into southern Canada as well. 
And that leads me into our next question. John from North Dakota says, hey, guys, I'm looking at my soil tests and I'm seeing higher nitrogen levels also. Now, I double inoculate my soybeans and figure a 40 bushel yield. At what level of nitrogen carryover do I worry that the soybeans will get lazy and not fix enough nitrogen that they need? John, I wouldn't worry about that at all. We've had soils where we've had 200 pounds or more of nitrogen there because of applied manure, and the soybeans did just fine. They still nodulated. In fact, the yield was outstanding. So I'm really not worried about that. I I will just say this, though. On our farm, we had a couple of fields. I was thinking about going to soybeans. Well, we had so much carryover nitrogen, I had enough for my next corn crop. And now, in, in your area, maybe you don't raise corn, but I'm guessing you do raise wheat. And so we've had a lot of guys thinking about raising a corn or a wheat or something to take advantage of all that nitrogen there. But yeah, there's certainly no problem planting soybeans into ground that has a fair amount of nitrogen. You hear a lot about the uh, lazy soybeans or whatever. Honestly, I've never seen that in my life. Okay, uh, next one is actually from South Africa, uh, Rixaka. Uh, And I am going to apologize because I didn't get the full email. It looks like he basically put his email into the subject line, so it cuts it off at some point. But anyway, he says, I'm an aspiring farmer. I'm currently farming field crops and garden vegetables uh, like corn and cabbage. And I've seen my yield improved massively because of your teachings. Uh, And then he he, – that's basically where the the, uh, email gets cut off. But anyway – uh, Rixaka, I would say if you've got any specific questions for us, just send those to us. Uh, we'd sure love to help you, and I'm glad that our information is already helping you in your operation. All right, next one is from Stephen. He says, here in eastern Kentucky, we have some heavy soils like red clay and light blue clay, and I normally rip and mow board plow in the fall of the year. But it seems like in the last few years, it's been hard to get that soil to dry in the spring. Would it be better to let the soil rest in the fall and winter and do the plowing in the early spring? It's corn on corn ground. Okay, so Stephen, I'll just say this. On our farm, and I'm going to guess it's the same thing with yours, we're wetter in the fall than we typically or in the spring than we typically are in the fall. And my problem with ripping and moldboard plowing is if you have very much soil moisture, you're going to do a cr- tremendous amount of compaction. You're already getting a fair amount of compaction just ripping and moldboard plowing on its own. But if it's wetter, it's even worse. So we typically would advise people to do it in the fall. Now, if you're still having issues with things not being dry in the spring, there are two big things that I would look at. Number one, drain tile. If you don't have drain tile in the ground, I'd seriously consider putting some in. The next thing is calcium. How high are the calcium levels in your soil? If they're not at least 65% and preferably preferably 75%, what that means is your soil doesn't have as much porosity. So water can't move through as well. So if you need tile, I'd put some tile in. If you need calcium, I'd add some calcium, whether it's lime or gypsum or whatever, add some calcium to that soil. And if you do those two things, hopefully in time, you'll find that the ground dries out better. Now, here's the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about. If you mowboard plow every year, usually what we see over time is soil organic matter levels go down. Because people are trying to sequester carbon and increase organic matter levels and they want less compaction and better uh, filtration through the soil and, quite frankly, even better drainage like you're talking about, then usually 
people start going away from moldboard plowing. Now, it's totally up to you whatever you want to do on your farm. But I am saying if you can build organic matter levels somehow, some way, and usually that means reducing tillage at least a little bit, then typically you have better drainage and you do have a little bit drier soil in the spring. Not a lot, but a little. So something for you to at least be thinking about. There are a lot of different ways to farm, and I, I, I certainly appreciate what you're doing right now. Um, I, I, I don't have any issue with doing full-scale tillage if you want, but uh, yeah, sometimes we do run into that issue in the spring. Okay, I have four questions here, all basically the same from Matt from Indiana, uh, let's see, Charles, Cotton, and Ed, all asking, oh, Ed's from North Carolina, all asking about our soils clinics uh, and other workshops that we're doing this winter. Will they be online? Uh, for the most part, yes, we will have most stuff online. We'll have more information on that on our agphd.com website as we get toward the end of the month here uh, or the very first part of January. So before I, any of our workshops, we'll have that stuff posted and where you can go for that. Um, kind of as a follow-up here for Ed from North Carolina, he says, um, I'm actually coming to your wheat clinic and your soils event in January, so I'll be out there for a few days. Um, I actually plan on renting a vehicle to go back and forth from my hotel in Sioux Falls, and I was wondering if I could carpool with anyone. Well, um, Ed, we'll, we'll uh, try to put you in touch with somebody. I'll have somebody follow up with you there and see if maybe somebody else wants to ride with you. All right, and then uh, Matt from Indiana, in addition to asking about the soils clinics being online and, and other winter workshops, he said, um, I'm using this product, Alpha Complete. It's a combination of microcycle, heat shield, Nutex, EDA. It's uh, uh, biological or natural products. What's the best way to use that? Would that be with fertilizer and furrow, using a post-emerge? Any suggestions? Um, Matt, I would say we like the Alpha Complete, that combination of microcycle, heat shield, Nutex, EDA, these biologicals. We like them in furrow. I don't have any big issue if you want to put them with some fertilizer. Just be a little bit careful. I was talking to a group of farmers about this yesterday. If you look at zinc chelate, it will hurt biological activity and actually kill some of the biologicals to, to some degree, but not real bad. And I don't care what biologicals we're talking about. But you get ammoniated zinc or zinc citrate, and it's terrible on a lot of beneficial microbes. So... I'm just saying be careful about what fertilizer you're using. Make sure you ask before you, you put something out there that's pretty harsh. But like zinc chelate, for example, actually had pretty good success out of that. Okay, next one is from Larry. He says, does the burning of straw, like rice straw or wheat straw, affect the residual nutrients that are left on the field or the long-term fertility of the field? Well, Larry, the research that I have seen shows that you're going to lose most all of the nitrogen that is in the residue. Now, not that's in the soil, okay, but what's in the residue that's on the surface of the soil if you burn it. With phosphorus and potassium, you're probably going to lose about a third. So in terms of your N, P, and K, yeah, it's not real great for what's left in those in that residue, but like I say, it's not going to destroy all the fertility that's in your soil or anything like that. So it's usually not a huge amount that you lose, but it is a little bit. All right. Before we wrap things up today, just wanted to say thanks to my sister Janelle. She was running the controls for me. 
Uh, thanks to everybody who called in earlier in the show talking about our topic, picking soybean varieties for disease tolerance. And thanks to you for listening, and be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.